This episode is brought to you by Libro FM, the first and only company that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Ours is the Reading Rock Books in Dixon, Tennessee. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports the community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dogs, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, booksellers. The Good Old Days has a special offer for you. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code OLDDAYS, all one word, O-L-D-D-A-Y-S, Old Days. The offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Now on to our show. And we are live. This is The Good Old Days, a podcast at the corner of history and true crime. I'm Maggie Coomer. And I'm Jasmine Brand. And happy Saturday. It is time for a Saturday short stack series, new edition. Uh Uh-uh. Don't like that. Saturday morning short stack. Here we go. Grab your syrup. Grab your pancakes. It's time for a little tale, a wicked tale. And I'm very excited for this one. Aren't you? I am. (laughs) I've been been building it up. (laughs) You've been making all kinds of (sighs) exasperated and shocked noises from across across from me. Wild. It is wild. Are you ready? I don't. You're not ready. You're not ready. I'm not ready. (laughs) I'll never be ready. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I guess I should ask you, how are you, Jasmine? Um, as good as anyone can be these days. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I guess I, I just got so wrapped up in how excited I am for this story. Uh, fucking shit went down yesterday. I guess we're recording this on a Thursday. So yesterday was January 6th. And anyone know anything that was going on on January 6th? Anything going on, Jasmine? <laughs> a literal terrorist attack on yeah. our capital. A coup, a failed coup. Uh, it was hard to watch. It was hard to stomach. It was. I'm it really, interested. I just, I, I don't even have any words. Like, how do you explain that? How do you, there is no explaining that, but how do you process that? Uh, well, I processed it by not processing it and jumping into the story. <laughs> so maybe we can just do that today and then we can, you know, process it and, and try to articulate something in the future. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so here we go. So today I'm going to tell you the story of the murder of Marilyn Shepard. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay, good. All right, excellent. So for this one, we have to go back to 1954. It's July 4th. It's early in the morning. Dr. Sam Shepard lives with his wife, Marilyn, and seven-year-old son in a lakefront house in the Bay Village community. It's a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, so they literally live on the beach of Lake Erie. He's a, a an ortho an ortho surgeon, orthopedic surgeon. He works for the Bayview Hospital. Well, Dr. Sam Shepard, the night before, they had had friends over, and he had fallen asleep on the daybed in their living room. And he woke up at 4.30 in the morning 
to screaming. His wife is screaming his name, calling for help. So he races upstairs and he finds someone standing over his wife's bed. And it is his wife's bed because apparently in the 1950s, it wasn't just in I Love Lucy where they had two twin beds. This was also their bedroom situation, which is neither here nor there. She has been beaten and there's some form, some white form is what Sam Shepard describes it as. Uh, standing over her and he he gets into a physical confrontation with this person right fighting trying to do something and shepherd is knocked unconscious okay moments later shepherd comes to he runs to his seven-year-old son's bedroom and his son remarkably is fast asleep and at that point shepherd races back down the stairs and chases this form out his back door onto the beach and they again a struggle ensues they're fighting Sam Shepard gets knocked out again. At 5.40 a.m., Shepard frantically calls his good friend, the mayor of Bay Village. This guy named, guy's name is Spencer Huff. He says, quote, my God, I think they've killed Marilyn. So by 6 a.m., the police are at the house. It's pandemonium. The neighbors are up. Sam Shepard is, he doesn't have a shirt on, by the way, because he lost his T-shirt during the surf fight with the guy. Uh, he has obviously a concussion. He's soaking wet from the waist down after wrestling with the murderer in the surf. So they basically take a statement, which is what I just relayed to you, and they cart him off to the hospital for his injuries. Little Sam, who's the son, seven-year-old son, Sam Jr., he goes with the uncle, and he has thus departed the story for the foreseeable future, okay? So after the family leaves... The police essentially just let the crime scene open. They let people come in and traipse about, including the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, Otto Graham, uh, who apparently was a good friend or his wife was a good friend of Maryland's and often went water skiing with Maryland and Dr. Shepard. And the county coroner shows up a couple minutes later, you know, not citing any issue with how the crime scene's being handled, but he's like immediately suspicious of Sam Shepard's story. Okay. And he finds some interesting evidence. Is this one of those like little towns that had never had a murder before and that sort of thing? Because that's the vibes I'm getting. Well, it's in Cleveland. So I'm going to say probably not. It's a suburb of Cleveland. So it's like a, an upper echelon neighborhood of Cleveland, but I, I'm not sure of the crime rate per se. Okay. But it does kind of sound like, like that. They, it just sounds like one of those, you know, 1980s murder mystery movies where it's like, oh, we never expected it to happen in our neighborhood. Well, obviously, this is like a rich people thing, right? Because it, it, it matters if you're if you're rich and the quarterback for the Browns, you can just come in and look at this murdered woman. That's apparently a thing. Nice. Yeah. So the evidence that Sam Gerber, who is the coroner, by the way, another Sam, lots of Sam. So Coroner Gerber, he's immediately suspicious in the hallway of the bedroom, they find Dr. Shepard's doctor's bag, like the, the contents strewn about the hallway. It's very strange. Also, all of the, the uh, drawers in uh, Shepard's desk, his work desk, are pulled out evenly. So they're all pulled out and they're all in a line. And it's weird. It looks to him as if this has been staged. So he immediately doubts the validity of Shepard's story. And at the onset of this investigation, he's treating this as if it's like spousal homicide. So that's his mindset. The press were initially on Shepard's side, 
But they turned on him in a hurry. Like within two days, they turned on him with a vengeance when it was rumored that Shepard had refused to take a polygraph test after being questioned by the police. Now, I'd like to point out that the police went from his home after talking to coroner, the coroner uh, Gerber, and they went to the hospital to question him there. And they told him immediately that they, they thought he did it. <laughs> they were like, we think you murdered your wife. And so I'm not like super shocked that he didn't want to take a test. I don't know. I mean, at that time, polygraphs were considered the end all be all. That's true. So did they not go down to the beach at all? Uh, there was an investigation happening all over the property. I think it's interesting that he never gave a description of the person he was fighting. He said he was a uh, bushy haired man. Oh, okay. That's what he said. It, but he called him at first a biped. He couldn't decide. Like he was like, I don't know. I I couldn't I couldn't make him out. He was a biped, so he had two legs. He was I was fighting with him. Very helpful. And then he's a bushy haired man. So you know, I guess I can see kind of see where the cops are like, mm. what? Uh, but he got hit on the head twice and like hard enough to knock him out. So you know, I I kind of understand that. Uh, but they're they're not finding any evidence that tells them that there's a third person there. That's fair. So, but also you don't just go and be like. I think you did it while you're recovering from your injuries and concussion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they did not really uh, it, like from the outset. It's pretty clear that everyone involved, all the police officers, the coroner, the prosecution, they all think that that Shepard did this like without a question. Now, the editor of the Cleveland Press, a man named Louis Selzer, he is remembered Everyone cites him as Shepard's most vocal critic, okay? Um, he published front page headlines calling for a public coroner's inquest, which happened, by the way, on July 22nd. So remember, she died on July 4th, and then uh, the coroner calls for a public uh, coroner's inquest at a local school in the gymnasium, and so all the, the townspeople <laughs> are able to come in and sit in the bleachers and watch this, and... Um, Oh, by the by, it came out that Shepard was having an affair. Of course he was. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So uh, he was reportedly having an affair with a lab technician at the hospital where he worked. Of course he was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was now living in California. She had moved away. Um, but apparently uh, Shepard's lawyer told him to vehemently deny this. Like, no, 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 no. It's the 1950s. Do not say that you had sex with this woman. No. Even though it was like pretty clear, like apparently in his car and at her apartment and like, you know, they were having a good time. I really hope his lawyer said it just like that. It's the 1950s. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I'm sure he absolutely said it like that. It's really interesting because it seems like the the police officers and the investigators are really just like, like headline for headline following what this Lewis Seltzer guy is putting in his paper. Um, because a week after the coroner's inquest, the Cleveland press called for his arrest, for Shepard's arrest. They were like, arrest him already. And within like a couple hours, they had. <laughs> they they arrested him. They took him and questioned him for 22 hours over two days. And then finally, they charged him with first degree murder of his wife, Marilyn Shepard. And the motive? His affair with Susan Hayes. Did I mention that Marilyn was four months pregnant? You did not. Marilyn was four months pregnant. And so basically the prosecution paints this picture that here's this philandering, filthy animal who's sleeping with this, you know, lab tech who's living in California. 
They fly her in and she confirms that they had sex and that she knew he was a married man. And basically that Shepard killed his wife because, you know, she was going to get in the way. And like he wanted he apparently wanted her to have an abortion and she wanted a divorce and he didn't want her. It it was all that kind of stuff. So the family annihilator like plot, basically. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, But also kind of like she wanted to divorce him and he he snapped, basically. There was also a rumor that the paper put forward that he was sterile because of his his experience with all the x-ray, you know, x-ray equipment and everything. Um, but they performed an autopsy and the DNA of the baby was and this is later, but they confirmed that anyway. Spoiler alert. So, like I said, they charged him with first degree murder. This trial from the onset, it is so unacceptable. It's not even funny. Uh, a journalist who was in the courtroom, her name was Dorothy Kilgallen, and she was apparently like on some sort of game show in the 1950s. She was in the courtroom. The judge called her back to his chambers and told her that this was an open and shut case, that Shepard was completely guilty. And um, she didn't report this until like 10 years after the death of the judge, because I guess she was like, he was just telling me this in confidence. And so I shouldn't like tell anybody this. Right. Also, he's telling a reporter. Surely that's like grounds for dismissal, dismissal of the case. I don't know. It was again, it was the 1950s. Okay. And she was like, he was telling me he made an offhand comment. And I'm just gonna let this go. Okay. So what else was she doing in his chambers? If it was just an offhanded comment? That's a good question. There's so many unanswered questions. But unfortunately, most of these people are dead. So (laughs) (laughs) my one of my main sources for this there's a lot written about this case several books numerous articles lots of websites um but one of my favorites was a um a piece called the dr sam shepherd trial by a man named douglas olinder and there's also a great website about this case that belongs to my alma mater umkc university of missouri kansas city so i relied heavily on those sources and so i took this quote of he's talking about Dr. Adelson's testimony. Quote, he displayed gruesome color autopsy slides, color autopsy slides in 1954. So you can just imagine as jurors and spectators gasped, Sam Shepard, who sought but was denied permission to leave the courtroom during the slideshow, stood in a corner of the room with his back to the screen. I'm envisioning a man sobbing in the corner to not see his wife's gruesome crime scene photos. So I thought that was a particularly pertinent quote. Um, So thank you, Douglas Olinder. After this trial, the jury deliberated for four days and voted on the the verdict 18 times, but they ultimately came back. Shepard was guilty, but they charged him with second degree murder, not first degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. He was eligible for parole after 10 years which I take a little bit of issue with, but whatever. And so there there he goes. He goes off. He's carted off to a maximum security prison nearby. Shepard's mother committed suicide after the trial, and his father died of cancer a few years later. He always maintained his innocence, all right, obviously, and he appealed, but things didn't really turn around for him until his lawyer died in 1961. Then he had to get a new lawyer. The lawyer that he hired was a man named F. Lee Bailey. Does that name ring a bell? It sounds really familiar. It should. Yeah. Uh, He represented Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler. He represented Patty Hearst, and he helped O.J. Simpson get acquitted. 
That's it. Yeah. Yep. Bailey filed a writ of habeas corpus, so wrongful imprisonment, and cited that the 1954 trial was completely compromised because of the media attention. Obviously, it was basically the original trial by media. Love that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Basically, the judge's refusal to move or push the trial violated uh, Shepard's due process. In 1964, a federal district judge named Carl Weinman threw out Shepard's conviction and called the trial, quote, a mockery of justice. But the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals did not agree and overturned that overturn. And Shepard was arrested again. But this time he was allowed out on bail because that was going to the Supreme Court. Uh, So the Supreme Court is going to decide on this case in 1966. But during that time, Shepard remarried. He apparently had a pen pal and her name was her name was Ariana. Teben Johannes. Johans. Ariana Teben Johans. I know. So I know, like, so far with the details and all of his appeals, there's a case for him being innocent. But what is it with women who write murderers in prison? You know what the thing I wrote right after the sentence is? Thoughts on women writing prisoners? <laughs> Why? 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 <laughs> Why do this? And it really, like, it really makes me sad. I watched a video from just kind of like a normal guy as as I was scrolling through TikTok. (laughs) Your favorite pastime. My favorite pastime (laughs) the other day. And he was talking about, um, he like had screen grabbed another video of a woman showing you how to go and find the websites to make a pen pal in prison. And he was telling his own story. Sorry, this is sidetracking no. us. Um, of like, my father went to prison for murdering my mother when I was a child. And he is on there and had a dating profile on there. And like, Ew. he's like, that just, it no. made, he's like, I don't know what to do with this. That's but so that's gross. the kind of person you're writing. <laughs> no, please And don't. I'm just like, that makes me so sad. Like from the other side of that. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I'm sorry. How do you even strike up that conversation? Like, hey, saw your picture in the paper. And I, you know, just wanted to see if like maybe you wanted to write back and forth. You know, what What do you even do? What is that? I don't get it either. I'm not cool with it. Ugh. Yuck. All right. So he got married. Yay. <laughs> I guess. And um, finally, in 1966, the Supreme Court voted eight to one to overturn Shepard's conviction, citing that the media attention prevented Shepard from getting a fair trial. Shocker, right? Everyone kind of understood that. Two days later, state prosecutors charged him with murder again. So guess what? It's time for trial number two. But isn't that double jeopardy? Nope, because they just overturned the conviction. They didn't acquit him. Ah. Mm-hmm. So they 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 do it again. I'm going to spare you some of the details. Um, they acquit him this time. All right. But we're talking 12 years after the murder of his wife. His life is just he's ruined. He is ruined and evidence to follow. Sam Shepard wrote a book in 1966 called Endure and Conquer. He allegedly, after his release, signed a copy of his book for a fan and where this gets controversial is on one of the first pages, you know how it'll have like the the greatest book of 2020 and then it'll have like all the newspapers and like little clips of like what they've each one has said about the book. Well, on, on this page, it was like, did Sam do it? And underneath in just in pen, 
the word yes is written on this copy. And so people were like, oh, my God, why would Sam do that? Like, he's obviously guilty. This is an admission of guilt. But it later came out that this woman was trying to write a book about Sam Shepard and that it was probably just a little bit. Of, it, it The credibility was a what little about, suspect. I mean, as you brought up OJ, the if I had done it. Oh, I had those thoughts. Hold tight. Okay. All right. I can't remember what it's called. It is something like that. No, it is. If I, if did, I it, did it is yeah. what it's called. Yeah. And and uh, was it the Goldstein family? Was it that was her family? And they tried to sue to keep the book from coming out. I mean, like rightfully so. But I think that the, a judge ruled that they got a lot of the proceeds of that book. Yeah, I don't think he made any money off of yeah. it. Which I'm like, good. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sorry to get acquitted of a murder and then write a, a book about the murder and then to profit off of that. That is the most sickening thing I can possibly think of. Anyway, that might have been what happened here. We don't know. But but yeah, so he writes that book. Everyone's like, oh, my God, did Sam do it? But it blows over and he tries to reenter society. He tried to get back into the medical practice. He was a successful orthopedic surgeon. He goes to work in Youngstown, Ohio, for the Youngstown Osteopathic Hospital. But is t- uh, heavy drinking by this point, obviously, if you can, if you're shocked to hear me say that he's drinking heavily. And I saw a couple places in quotations like he was drinking two liters of, of liquor a day. Yeah. So heavy drinking. He was, you know, 10 year hiatus from performing surgery kind of dampened his skills a bit. And on two separate occasions while performing surgery, he nicked major arteries in his patients, causing their respective deaths. As a result, these the families of these two victims filed civil lawsuits, wrongful death lawsuits against Dr. Shepard and the Youngstown Osteopathic Hospital. The first one was a man named Samuel Lopez. He was 29 years old. Uh, He was a steel worker from Youngstown. Uh, His family sought $530,000 for the wrongful death after he had nicked, I guess, an artery in his neck and caused his death on the table. Second person, uh, second lawsuit was for a Mrs. Mary Duffy. She died 16 hours after Shepard operated on her spinal disc. He had nicked an artery and she bled out internally. And her family sought $685,000. And she had five children, which uh, so I got these two specific deals from the Pittsburgh Press. And I thought it was really interesting about what details we got on each of them. For Mrs. Mary Duffy, we got that she was married with five children. For Samuel Lopez, we got that he was a steel worker. (laughs) And that's it. So it is the 50s. I just thought I'd point by this point, we're in what, 60s? This would be 68. The Pittsburgh Press, that same article, reported, quote, that as of the court filing, the hospital said that Shepard's status remained unchanged. So the hospital was like his status is unchanged at this moment. So he's still active, a doctor in our hospital, able to perform surgeries. But Shepard resigned shortly after. And I think that that is totally how things ran right isn't that just like the perfect it's like we're not gonna we're not gonna tarnish this guy's reputation even though he killed two people we're gonna let him you know be able to go out with his head held high and all this and i'm like are you fucking kidding me how is that not dr death right there yeah i mean come on messed up all right but anyway so he he leaves his wife because he's a raging alcoholic his wife ariana filed for divorce in 1958 and he goes on to embark in a professional wrestling career what (laughs) Yes. In August of 1969, Sam Shepard debuted as a professional wrestler. Guess what his wrestling name is? It's got to be something to do with death or murder and or doctoring. Murder surgeon, surgeon murder. I don't know. Killer Shepard. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
did everyone just sue this guy? Please tell me everyone sued this guy. Well, so he he actually he at this point his life seemed to be in some sort of weird like even keel because he married the daughter of his wrestling coach. Her name is Colleen Strickland. And he fought in four, fought. He wrestled in 40 matches, but he died on April 6th, 1970. So less than a year after starting out as a professional wrestler, he died of liver failure at the age of 46. Such a shame. Well, that's not all. Oh, no. In 1997, his son, I've just called him Lil Sam, but he's Sam Jr., he decided he was going to try to clear his father's name and he filed a civil lawsuit, but the county won. And according to the Douglas Linder article that I was referencing, six of the eight jurors said that they thought Sam Shepard killed Marilyn. And this was in 1997. So we'll never know for sure. But there is one possible suspect. The one piece of evidence that was used in the civil trial to kind of prove his innocence was in 1959. So we're talking five years, five, six years after the trial. Uh, a handyman in the area, so the the, the Bay, Bay Village, his name was Richard Eberling. He was arrested for larceny. In his possession, they find two of Marilyn's rings. So two of the dead woman's rings, like five or six years later. And the police officer, I guess just to kind of coax him or push him, says to him, well, your blood was found at the, at the scene. Why, why was that? And he said basically that he had gone back into the house after all of this had happened and he stole the rings. And and that was that. That was all. That was it. Um, But in this 1997 trial, they did some DNA DNA testing of samples collected at the time. And they found a third party that was not like a third blood type that was not Marilyn or Sam Shepard. There is some evidence that there is a third person there, which kind of, you know, blows a hole in that it was just Sam Shepard and there's no evidence of anybody else there. So um, that all came out. But despite this, the, even the, the jury at the civil trial, which they're allowed to hear a lot more stuff than at a criminal trial, they're still like, no, nah, we kind of think that Sam Shepard did it. So that is a story of the murder of Marilyn Shepard and the trial of her husband, Sam Shepard. Wow. So did it live up to the hype? It did. That's <laughs> some detail. That's what I said. That's why I was like, God, there's so much to this. That's like, this crazy. could be a full length episode. And yeah, look, it's like we're almost at 30 minutes. Yeah, so that's well, crazy. I guess it's not so short. <laughs> Dude, I know. Uh, it was wild. A wild ride for sure. But yeah. Insane. So. But anyway, that's it, folks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head to your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a five-star review. Also, don't forget to subscribe to The Good Old Days Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find our website at thegoodolddayspod.com where you can find a whole host of other episodes as well as a source list for this episode. Jasmine, what about social stuff? So you can find us on Twitter at the Good OD Pod, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at the Good Old Days Pod. We hope you all enjoy your weekend. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.